When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks, and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Price. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 195 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this is a special episode. We are just answering a bunch of listener questions. We haven't done that in a while. We thought this would be a good chance to do that while Mike Johnston is in Greece for a camp. Um, And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. I am just coming back from a dream symbol hang that happened here in New Jersey. So, um, and I got to tell you, if you get a chance to go hang out with these guys, um, it's cool what they're doing. They're shipping a bunch of symbols into this really nice, you know, just cool studios around uh, the U.S. And you get to check out, um, you know, what the symbols sound like in a studio with microphones. Um, Scott Pellegrom has been there to demo stuff, which is really cool to hear him do his thing live in the room to hear the symbols, but then also go in the control room to hear what it sounds like when it's coming through professional quality recording gear. Super cool. So definitely uh, check out their Facebook page and be to be updated on any future events that might be happening near you. Um, I left there with two ride symbols that we're going to review in a future episode. I have a gorilla ride and a flat earth ride. Uh, So we'll definitely be featuring those later. But um, for now, let's get the episode rolling. Um, and this intro beat is brought to you by Mr. Mike Johnston. More time because I'm going to press record. Here we go. One, two, <laughs> four. Oh my goodness. I don't All even. Right. Why do we even try? Coming to you live, episode 195. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What is up, dude? I feel like I haven't talked to you since yesterday, yesterday. at this exact same time. So we Can should. you imagine if we had to do a daily podcast? Oh no. Nah. Nah. No. Nah. I don't even know what we would possibly talk about. We'd have to just take page one of stick control and just talk about it <laughs> oh goodness uh i we'd, we'd switch into an interview show we'd say hey guest drummer could you speak for 45 minutes and then mike and i will talk at the beginning and the end <laughs> wait a minute first of all tell me at the beginning let's talk about that intro groove damn <laughs> damn fire <laughs> that dude can play so i guess he's using a 1960s gretsch <laughs> round badge kit he's got an overhead mic it's an at5045 same mic in front of the kit and it looks like yeah he's using neve preamps hey, okay i can definitely hey. tell that Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was Send that us intro played? We don't even know. What was it? <laughs> I don't know. We haven't heard it yet. It hasn't even been recorded yet by the time we're recording this. Uh, but send us more intro grooves, more outro grooves, please. I know how nerve-wracking it can be to do that. In all honesty, even Mike and I get nervous thinking like, oh, a bunch of drummers are going to hear this. You have to just block that stuff out of your mind. Send it to us. Share your drumming with us. We will use it in the beginning and the end of the podcast. And it's just a way to get you guys involved. And uh, and it's it's just cool. I love hearing you guys play. Mike loves hearing it. And we love hearing how you guys are recording it and all that stuff. So send us more intro and outro grooves. We've got a crazy show. We're we not going to get to it just yet, but we're going the listener question deep. Yep. We are... Going well. We've got I've got fifteen or so questions open here, so we're going to randomly pop them open. I haven't read any of these in advance, so 
You're going to get our raw input. We'll see what happens. Okay. <laughs> you want to jump in? And I got to say, where, no, not just at? yet. I want to, I, first of all, I want to say thank you for always reading the listener questions because, man, it's so easy to get tongue-tied while trying to read something on a screen for the first time. You always knock it out of the park. So I will give you one tiny little compliment. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and uh, so, and then do you have anything coming up? Oh, yeah, tell our listeners about. I guess this this show probably feels awkward to everyone because we are literally recording it uh, nine days in advance of when it's published. But Mm. so this show should be published (laughs) June 7th. So, yeah, on June 15th, anyone in the Washington, D.C. area, I will be at Chuck Levin's from noon, uh, basically noon until three to do a workshop masterclass. Not a clinic because I won't be blazing chops, but. Uh, it's also a Piesty day, so there'll be you know a whole bunch of Piesty products there and reps. That's so cool. I'll be playing whatever they want to put up on the stage for me to, to hit. Uh, and also, uh, Dimitri Fatini's going to be there. He's performing after me. So come down, Chuck Levin's, 12.30 on June 15th. Um, yeah, you might leave with some Piesties. And I think nice. I'm going to be bringing a bunch of stick bags and stuff to just give away to everyone. So. Oh, that's awesome. And if uh, any of the Peisty reps are listening, Mike loves Rudes. So if you want to set him up with a set of 16-inch Rude hi-hats, a 24-inch Rude uh, ride, he would love that. Yep, I'll bring my gaff tape. We'll be all good. <laughs> Actually, you would, yeah, you would sound fantastic on that if you gaff him up. Uh, you know, I, I was watching another video of uh, Eloy Casagrande last night and same, still hitting those Rudes and... It doesn't matter when when he hits them that hard. They actually do their job really well. Yeah, that's yeah. Those symbols are pretty amazing. Once you get past a certain threshold, they sound beautiful. They sound like beautiful symbols. I totally agree. It's a to weird thing. Them. Yeah, it's almost like all Peisty Rudes should have a sales rep standing right next to them in the store because in the store you're going to walk up to them and, and just tap them. Right. And the rep <laughs> should just say, "How's it going? My name is Alan. I'm from Peisty, and I just want to let you know." I want you to run to the back of the store, run towards the symbol, jump in the air, swing your marching stick and hit it. And then you'll hear the true brilliance of that symbol. <laughs> yeah, you got to put earplugs in first. <laughs> yes, but they are amazing when you when you when you hammer, hammer them out. Uh, I while you guys are listening to this, I am in Greece right now doing a camp and God, it's awesome here. <laughs> I think. Um, but no, after I get back from that, I've got some advanced camps. I think I've got three camps here and then I'm headed off to Ireland to do that camp with the lads, which should be fun. That one's all sold out. And then I'm actually doing a date. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the flyer here. I've got a clinic after that in, um, wherever they, in Belfast where they record or where they filmed, Game of Thrones. So I will be in Belfast as I'm reading the flyer on August 21st. Why do they put the day before the month? God, that's hard to read. <laughs> Obviously, there's no 21st month, so I was able to figure it out. But So I'll be uh, in Belfast at the Crescent Arts Center uh, for a master class and drum clinic. So I'll be doing a master class during the day. You can sign up for that. And that's a three-hour intensive small person thing. It's I think they've limited that one to 25 people. And then I'll do a drum clinic that's open to the public in the evening. All of this is happening at the Crescent Arts Center in Belfast on August 21st. Who manages all this? Is this vinyl? Uh, Amber. Vinyl Amber does it all? Man. Yeah, so, so it depends. So um, <clears throat> one of the perks, I'll just be straight up honest, one of the perks of being a vinyl artist is that vinyl is still one of the companies that goes – way out of their way to promote their artists and to help their artists. Now, what a lot of people probably don't know about being on a roster is you can be an artist and not be an educator. It's a special section of most artists rosters where you're also considered an educator and that way you're eligible for clinics. You're also, it depends on the company. Not all companies do this, but sometimes you can be thrown in like, Hey, if you buy 200 symbols from us, you'll get a clinic with one of our clinicians on our roster. And that might be mm-hmm. me, Thomas Lang, Benny Greb, Annika Nillis. It's a short list of these are our educators. Um, and then so so it just it kind of depends. And then sometimes I'll tell uh, Norbert, my rep, like, hey, I'm being flown over for this event. Since I'm there, do you want to add anything onto that? 
he'll call me back and say, yeah, let's put together like a six day run for you. Mm. So after that date, it becomes a Minel clinic tour and then Minel takes care of it with something like this Belfast one. It's just a company that reached out to us and said, hey, we saw that Mike's going to be in Dublin. Does he have any interest in coming to Belfast? And then from that moment on, Amber is dealing with them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, man. Trust me, everyone needs an amber. <laughs> it's, it's squirrely. I can't keep a track of my day to day life here. No way. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't do it either. And honestly, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know how much she actually does for Mike'sLessons.com. I wouldn't be able to do everything I do. I mean, really, it's a three person operation. We have our web developer Brad Phillip, who is honestly just a genius, and he's a great drummer. But he was responsible. He built the very first kit builder for SJC. Mm. Um, he's been doing drum websites forever. And so uh, so I have Brad Phillip, the developer, myself, doing all the content and the creation for everything and being kind of the teacher. And then Amber, and that's our entire team. Amber handles all the administrative stuff and then kind of collects the emails at the end of the day that she can't answer and then that's what we do. Like when I get home, she'll say, okay, I've got 15 emails that I can't answer because they're very gear centric or okay. I have $300. What kind of lens should I get if I want to film my drum set? So then I handle all those. Interesting. Not crazy. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I mean, just, just the modern drummer side of my day-to-day life, it's, it can be overwhelming. I can imagine trying to organize travel and hotels and yeah. all that stuff. It, 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 and like I said, I wouldn't be able to do it without Amber. And to just to make it clear, this is her full time job. So she mm. doesn't have she left uh, what she was doing to do this full time <laughs> because I needed somebody that could do it full time. So um, and it, it's kind of cool because obviously it says Mike's Lessons dot com on the sign and on the door. But as far as a married couple, there's no confusion that this would not work without her. Mm. So there's never that moment where I'm like, listen here, woman, you know, like that doesn't, first of all, she would just t- turn me into a pretzel on the ground and stomp on my face. But that doesn't happen because it's, it's so apparent on a daily basis, how many things wouldn't happen if she wasn't running really the company. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it works out great. So a drumming, uh, thing I wanted to talk about, um, yeah. I mentioned last episode about this new project I started working on with this really kind of creative, yeah. crazy thing. Um, and I kind of had this had been my process for recording forever, but I never actually thought about its its effectiveness. And I thought I just would share it. So every time I get a track, and this is also inspired by some some tips I've gotten from my favorite drummers over the years, uh, in particular Near Z, who we'll definitely talk about soon, but. Every time I get a track and I'm loading up the session and I've got the gears ready ready to roll, I always record my first instinct take as like just a just jam on it, just improvise, just pretend you're playing jazz, just go with it. And I'm learning 75% of the time I'm trying to beat that first take. Like that's really? like the the guy when he heard my first take, he's like that's it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I don't even know the song yet. <laughs> wow. He's like, no, I mean, just just do that again. But I couldn't do it again. Each take was more refined and a little bit more more focused and more kind of yep. more, more mature. Yeah, more perfect. And that first take yep. I was throwing in, like, my I was following the vocal line a lot more. So anyone that's recording, you know, and, and my one suggestion would be record everything. Even when you're just sound checking, just record it because you never know. You're going to capture some magic there that you can never repeat it, which. Wow. I mean, I think a lot of it is because I spend so much time practicing time and things where I know, like, my first take is going to be okay. It's not going to be a train wreck. Sure. So I can just kind of jam and just figure out what the hell I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting, though. I mean, and I would assume, too, even what a great thing to have as a reference. It would suck if the artist said, man, could you just do like a refined version of that? And you're like, oh, I don't remember what I did. Yeah. It, at least you have it recorded. So you can say, yeah, let me listen to it. Let's pick out the bits that were improvised in the moment, but now you want them in the song. Yeah. And now I can craft a drum part around that. Yeah. That's I don't, really cool. I don't take the, uh, for, for years I used to take the approach of let the first take or the first real take be the safety take. Like 
just don't mess up. And then you got you got crazier and crazier and as it takes one on from there. But what I'm yeah. what I'm realizing is that inspiration is really what you got to capture. So if you if you're going for like the safety take on your first take when you're still learning the song, by the end of the three and a half minutes, I'm already like defining what I'm going to do in take two. Mm. Like I don't have yeah. that initial no, that like sense. whoa that vocal part made me want to do this and I just did it and not even thinking right. about it and then later I'm like whoa that was like a three note grouping thing that I never would have done. That just right. kind of landed with the keyboard part or something. So anyway, that was super fun. So it was just cool that he he's ur- he was urging me to just, hey, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do for for the rest. But that's cool. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. really cool. I mean, it's great every time you can learn something about the process. The process is everything. I, I was watching. What was I watching last night? I was watching some sort of thing. Maybe it was actually the. Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones at all? Mm-mm. Okay, so I was guy. watching. Unfortunately, I haven't seen one that's minute fine. of it. <laughs> I, I'm more into. I've always been more into the making of things than I am into the things. And so they they put out a. There won't be any spoilers. No one has to cover theirs. But they put out a kind of like a a two hour long wrap up of the making of oh, of cool. the last season. So, but it was super focused on the makeup department, the this uh, set dressing department, all that kind of stuff, which is the stuff I geek out about the most. It's like how that can't be real snow. There's Mm. just no way. And I want to know how did they do this? And so how much of it is digital? So anyways, someone in there mentioned something about the process. uh, And they said, you know, at some point this will be a show on TV and it'll go by so fast, but it took me seven months to get that show to the point that it could be on TV, that's all I want to remember. I want to remember the seven months. I don't really even, I don't even need to watch the show. The process is everything. And mm. I, it just reminded me of how many moments, like when I think of PASIC, and that's almost where our friendship really started, I, I have some really small memories from PASIC, which was to this date the most important change in my career. From that moment on, I had a career in, mm. in I guess, being a clinician. I have a few crazy memories, but I have crystal clear memories of the six months leading up to it. And the six months leading up to it changed my whole life. And I reflect on those six months every time I'm preparing for something. I never reflect on the the crowd standing up and clapping. I know that's what I don't think. I don't think about that when I go to bed. Like, yeah, you're damn right. Like, I think, okay, wait a minute. There was pressure on me. I prepared for it like nothing I've ever prepared for. Let me reflect on that. So the journey, it's, it's all about the journey, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I literally don't remember one moment of my basic presentation. I know what I talked about, but I remember the microphone falling off the rack tom twice. <laughs> but it not bothered me because I'm like, okay, that's not my job. It's not my fault. Whatever. Just right. keep going. Yeah. That's about it. I remember the bass drum pedal coming off the hoop once. I'm like, okay. Again, not my gear, not my problem. It's okay. Right. <laughs> That's it. I don't remember but much But I have memories of you preparing for PASIC. You know right, what I mean? Like right, that, right. Because that's, that's what it's all about. So, Again. All right. So uh, listener questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you're having fun in Greece. Um, oh, it's so beautiful here. Well, we're dealing with tornadoes here on the East Coast, by the way. Goodness gracious. I drove through. I, first time ever, before we get into the questions, I played a show uh, the other day. It doesn't matter when. It was when all this crazy weather came through the East Coast. It's the first time in my life I've been driving, and I thought to myself, I might die. Like, Really? The weather got so Like the weather intense. was that bad? I mean, the rain was coming wow. in different directions. Trucks were swaying on the highway. I was like, this is crazy i've never seen this before and it was a tornado apparently i just like drove past a tornado (laughs) you know i say this every year but unfortunately i always say it right before our fire season like we're here for you and you can come here whenever you want but then usually when i say that the next day like half of our state is burning on the news so no no one uh no one gets it free and clear (laughs) even when i thought okay hawaii is the life then like the next week all the volcanoes erupted and i was like well maybe it's not that good of a life it's kind of hard to deny Uh, there's something changing that's for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right our first question here on that note is from christopher how do you decide how to get how much backup gear to take to a gig i have this fear Mm. that a snare drum pedal or stand will break down beyond repair Uh, maybe this just result of my ocd but looking for any input around the thought process or strategy when packing for a gig that is such a good question and it just happened to me, not to me personally, but I was involved in it where the guy that uh, 
during our live lessons, the guy that changes our cameras live, mm-hmm. um, switching between angles, he t- sent me a text and from a gig, and he said, I have a gig in Folsom. The chain on my pedal just mm-hmm. broke in half, or the little thing that holds it together broke, yep. and can I swing by the studio? And he has a key to the place, and I was like, yeah, go pick up a pedal, but... And it, it was funny. Like, he had a spare snare. He had a spare, spare everything except for a spare pedal. And the reason he didn't have a spare pedal is because he has a really expensive pedal. So he's like, what mm. do I need a spare pedal for? And it was yep. just one of those things. And the link, the thing that came off, he couldn't find it in his hardware bag. You know, it was like a dark club, got a <laughs> black hardware bag. And he's like, I know the link's in there somewhere, but I just can't see it. So, uh, uh, so sucks. yeah. So I, I think there are th- – I think moving parts are the most important thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I can kind of get by with anything. I never, I never bring any extra heads or anything like that. Uh, but I'd say, yeah, snare drum and a pedal. Uh, I, it, yep. It's hard. To, I mean, and then don't. Do you have like a bag of just spare little things like wing nuts and a clutch, or do you not have that? I do. I and I have a. Um, well, I have a bass drum pedal case that I have two pedals in, and I always have a third pedal in my trunk. So those, I always have three. Wow. I think it's three. One, two. There might even be four. There's definitely three pedals on me for every gig because um, I've had that happen. The chain just snapped in the middle of a song and having to just swipe it out quickly. Um, so in my bass drum pedal bag, I have a little, you know, like a Ziploc bag full of felts, washers, um, hi-hat clutch. I probably have three or four hi-hat clutches in my car at any given time. Um, tape, things like that, especially playing around New York City. The, the hardware is always suspects of having the the washers and the felts is required um so yeah i always take at least two pedals at least two snare drums if i'm going out of town i take two snare drums yeah and that's really kind of it i don't like double up on any like cymbals or anything like that no i mean honestly even if a cymbal cracked i just consider it to be funky um I don't mm-hmm. hit in a way that cracks cymbals. But the other thing is, ha- the, one of the reasons I always play with a side snare is it is my second snare if anything happens to the first one. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, it's, it's sitting right there. I don't have to pull it out of a case. Um, but, uh, but the other thing that I have to go through is, since my life, especially my gigging life, is a lot different, a lot of it is either camps or on location or clinics, I still will say, like, hey, do you guys have another DW5000 that I can put behind the kit if this one goes down i don't want to be like you know i don't want to have to press an intercom button can we get a dw5000 up to the front of the clinician stage so i just i i still have it there because things happen and i don't know this pedal i haven't traveled with this pedal but yeah i think that's important and then i would say if i was gigging a lot i would get one of those have you seen that aquarium bass drum patch Yes, and I do have That's that. probably one of the few things that I thought, you know what, man, back in my gigging days, that would have been so helpful. You go through the head, it happens, you, you know, you've you got too much energy, you play too hard, you go through the head, you slap that thing on there, and it patches the entire bass drum head. Yeah. I haven't had that happen. Never had ba- broken a bass drum head, but some house kits have been pretty pretty gnarly, where I've had to just kind of duct tape a fake head, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that 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 Aquarian bass drum patch works great to throw on a snare and get that you know it's like a cheap big fat snare drum. Yeah, that's what I use it for uh, actually. I have it, I have it in go. my snare case. I just throw it on the snare because it's made out of mylar. So, yeah. all right, next question. Um, okay, next one is this is from Adam. It says I have a question about something that I'm struggling with in a new band that's half covers and half originals. I'm struggling to find my ability to dig into pocket and groove in mid tempo four four rock songs. These are songs in the one thirty to one fifty BPM range that call for a standard backbeat. At lower tempos or on bluesy stuff, I find it easier to swing a bit and find some pocket. Um, but the up tempo straight ahead rock stuff. I find there's less space for the sauce that makes something groove. I wonder if you have examples of backbeat songs at those tempos that demonstrate some groove that are still hard-driving rock tracks. Adam, so it's a multiple question, multiple layer question there. Yeah, I think right off the bat, you have to redefine groove for every genre and every tempo. And it... The groove that works at 75 BPM is not going to... You don't just slide the tempo up to 140 and think that it's going to... It would actually sound weird. Those ghost notes don't... There is no space to put those in there. Um, And the groove becomes very backbeat driven. 
the hi-hats come down so they're not dominating and going chick, 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 you know, through the whole thing. So it just becomes this really steady backbeat thing. I think that is the groove. But but I also, when I hear basic, let's say um, Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yep. That was going to be my first first suggestion. Okay. When I hear that, I don't think that that doesn't groove. Yep. And I mean, there's also, I mean, the, the one on the album is, I mean, questionably programmed drum machine, but... If you see Steve Ferroni do it live, there's some swagger to it. There's definitely oh, some totally, load. yeah. But there's no. It's not a busy Tower of Power groove, you know. It's still yeah. just. So yeah, I think that it it just you have to redefine what groove is for that type of stuff, and it's not going to be what you think of as pocket and feel. It it does have pocket and feel. It just has its own pocket and feel, and it's you know it's right there. Yeah, I think you can't. Um you can't think of simple grooves as being easier or less interesting or less groovy. I think I find up-tempo rock stuff really challenging because you ha- there's no safety of all the ghost notes and stuff. <laughs> you know, right. you've got to, yeah. each quarter note is important. So I think the challenge is to, to not rely on this muscle memory of I'm going to play every subdivision to then find a groove. Well, can you just groove with quarter notes at any tempo? I think, right. um, but I think for examples, I mean, I think Kenny Arnoff kind of defines that up-tempo rock stuff. So anything that he's done with John Mellencamp, I mean, you can't say that stuff doesn't groove and it doesn't hit hard. So all that right. stuff. And then, like I said, Steve Froney with, with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, there's tons of live footage of him. Just, I mean, undeniable pocket and in those weird kind of up-tempo rock tempos, a lot of them. Yeah. That 150 range, that's, that's tough, but he can do yeah. it. Yeah, agreed. Hope that answers it. Um, all right, next one. This is from this is from Garrett. I often hear you guys refer to a drummer's sound and a drummer's voice. Other, the other thing I noticed is that you apply the term sound more often than not to drummers whose bass or background is not rooted in jazz. When using the term voice, it's almost exclusively applied to drummers who ba- whose background is in jazz. That's an interesting observation. Wow. My question is, do you feel that voice is more applicable to jazz drummers because it is oftentimes more of a free art form than other styles such as rock, funk, Latin, etc.? cetera, uh, who will usually have some sort of definitive rhythm that you're following and working with? Um, yep. Wow, that's a great question. I think that I think you and I probably use sound to refer to the sound they're getting out of their kit where a lot of times with voice we refer to that as what they're playing on the kit. So, you know, Tony Williams would have his voice on many different kits and then there's the uh the the Matt Chamberlain sound or the Benny Greb sound. I mean, I, for me, I I would have thought they were interchangeable, um, but I now yeah. that we're digging into it, I, I didn't even <laughs> notice that was happening. Well, here's a question: Is there anyone without a jazz background that has a really definitive voice? Can yeah. We, so who would that, I mean? Who would be an example of a non-jazz drummer with not even the jazz, I would s- but? You know, yeah, I would background. say definitely Benny. I can I can notice his playing style um, right away, even if he's on. Yeah, I mean, he's the classic example of playing on a SpongeBob kids drum set and mm-hmm. still sounded like Benny Greb. Um, and it doesn't mean that they've never played a swing beat in their life. I mean, obviously, people are going to be like, he just did the Buddy Rich jazz band thing. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean he's a jazz drummer. Um, Anna Canillis, probably. Um, yeah, it, it is tough, though. I mean... Now, what about is... Yeah. yeah this is a hard one to dig into, because I think voice voice for me is what you're saying. And then right. sound is the actual frequencies and I, things. When I think producing. of sound, I think of the difference between you playing Steve Jordan snare drum and Steve Jordan playing Steve Jordan snare drum. That's the sound like right. that he gets out of the kit. Right. Then the voice would be what he played on that. Um, the the actual groove itself, the notes, is it dense? Uh, you know the way that the way that he. But it's tough because then they almost come together when like I've seen Steve really kind of 
grip the sticks really tight to get a specific sound. And I've seen him be yeah. really loose and almost let him fly out of his hands. And that to me, that's that's sound, but it, oh, that's tough. I, I love the question though. Yeah, it's tough. I, I would think, kind of getting directly to your question, Garrett. Um, do you feel that voice is more applicable to jazz drummers? Maybe. I think because, first of all, the sound of a jazz drum set is pretty much defined. I mean, we're breaking the rules now, but in general, it's high-tuned rack toms, yes. open, small drums, you know, dark uh, dark cymbals. So the sound of a jazz drummer in a traditional sense is kind of defined. So then all you have is your voice. Um, whereas with rock and funk, there's a lot more like sonic variety. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm I'm kind of leaning towards, at least from my biased perspective, I can't think of a drummer who has a really definitive voice that at some point early in their career, they didn't study jazz. I can't think of it. Vinny yeah. Cayuta, Dave Weckl, yeah. Steve Gadd, John Bonham. I mean, Benny was definitely into jazz as a kid. Yeah. And, um, what do you think about Nate Smith? Jazz background. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, what about who? Somebody maybe Gene Hoagland. He's definitely okay. has a voice in the in the metal world, and I don't know that he's yeah. ever kind of explored improvised music. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, it is tough. It's a th- um, we can't really answer. And this I'm one. Sure, yeah, we crushed it, <laughs> nailed it. Can we just debate what's the difference between groove and feel? Take an easy softball pitch and <laughs> yank it over the yard. All right, let's go next. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for that, Garrett. Now I'm going to be questioning my vocabulary for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to pause for a quick message from our sponsor, Dream Symbols. Um, like I said, I, I grabbed the Gorilla Ride and the Flat Earth Ride from the Dream Symbols hang that I went to the other day. So we're going to just drop in some audio that I grabbed online. This is not me playing. These are some YouTube demos that I found um, of the Gorilla Ride. So the Gorilla Ride is... A heavy ride, a very pingy ride. So it's it's something maybe you weren't, you didn't think Dream offered maybe this kind of heavy rock ride sound. Um, so we're going to drop that in now, and then we're going to follow that with the Dark Matter Flat Earth ride, uh, which is kind of the polar opposite, but still related. It's a very pingy, but very dark and dry. So first you're going to hear the Gorilla ride, and then we're going to shift over to the Dark Matter ride. Again, these are samples that I just grabbed from YouTube. Um, I will be doing a personal demo and a review of these in an upcoming episode. But for now, check out these two symbols and we'll uh, we'll get back to your questions here in a minute. All right, this one's from uh, Ezra, uh, 14-year-old Ezra. Nice. Um, I have a couple of questions for you guys. What would be your setup if you were playing contemporary Christian music as well as funk, R&B, and pop? And then uh, second question we're not going to get to. Third question, I have an interface with only four inputs and four line inputs. Should I just use the line inputs or get an external mic preamp? Those two questions. What would be your setup if you were playing contemporary Christian music as well as funk, R&B, and pop? And then if I have an interface with only four inputs and four line inputs, should I use the line inputs or get an external mic preamp? Hmm. Well, let's take the first one. Uh, it, you know, Contemporary Christian music, if you're going to – there's going to be a lot of tom builds. A lot, you're going to be riding on that floor tom a lot. So I think having a 16 is going to be beneficial to the kit. If, if you have the option for it, just going with a nice six-piece kit of 10, 12, 14, 16 covers all of your bases. And the thing that I love about 10, 12, 14, 16 is then you have three, it'll, a minimum of three really standardized kits. You have a nice six-piece kit to do all that stuff with. You have a 10 and 14 
setup to do some fusion stuff, and you have a 12-16 setup to do some rock stuff, and you're all set. So you can do anything you want with a 10, 12, 14, 16. Um, and at no point will you be playing a contemporary Christian song and be like, man, I wish I had an 8-inch tom. 10 is going to get you as high <laughs> as you ever need to go, and 16 will go plenty low. And you'll probably never wish for an 18. So I would say 22 uh, or 20, and then 10, 12, 14, 16 with, with a single snare. And you're kind of set to do everything you want. Uh, if you need to save some money, go on the used market and check out the PDP X7. That was a great kit it actually did come with an eight back in the day all right but yeah yeah i mean it was like brand new lacquered finish and it came with it was eight ten twelve fourteen sixteen snare and kick and it was like under a grand back in the day yeah so that would be a great choice i have a few friends we used to have those back when i was a dw artist those were our kits at the drum lab and i when i moved to gretch uh, I ended up selling those to a couple of the teachers, and some of the teachers still have those as their main kits. They they sound fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, check out the PDP X7. Yeah, if I was going to pick one setup for all those styles, I would I would go 12, 16 toms, 20 inch bass drum, and then a standard five or five and a half inch deep snare. I think that would cover those styles for me. I would feel cool. Yeah. And then cymbals, I would. It's kind of just a basic setup: fourteen-inch hi hats, twenty-inch ride, maybe a seventeen and a nineteen-inch crash, or something like that, or sixteen and yeah. eighteen. I totally. Agree I don't with think that. Any, anything about those four genres require anything super out of ordinary, right? No, no. And I think the bass drum size for me would be determined by when you say contemporary Christian. Is that like full production, or is this you're in an auditorium and there's no microphones and you have to play super quiet mode? And they yeah, and they keep telling you to play quieter and quieter, right. and they buy this drum shield for you, and then they eventually build a box and stick you in the box. Never experienced that a thousand times. All right, so the second part of the question, I don't really, I don't think we have enough information. You have an interface with only four inputs and four line inputs, or do you mean four inputs and they are line inputs? Um, I, you're not going to be able to get a good microphone signal into a line input. You need a, you need a preamp for a microphone, so. You need an interface that has mic preamps built in. It's probably be cheaper than buying an external mic preamp for the four channels. Um, Okay, so if his thought was, well, I'll just go on Amazon and buy an XLR to quarter-inch cable, you're saying that those line inputs aren't going to give enough juice to the microphone. It's going to be noisy. Um, I mean, I do that setup with my weird electronics rig, but I I don't care because I want it to be lo-fi and kind of trashy. You can you can do that with like an SM57 or something that's just a normal. It doesn't require phantom power. Yeah, or anything. but but it's not the ideal way to do it. You need a you need a preamp for each microphone, ideally. There you go. All right, thanks, Ezra. Um, all right, this is from oh man, of course, is this a Greek name? Stelios, Stelios, Stelios. <laughs> Why don't you say it the exact same way three times in a row? <laughs> no there's, variations. There's Is it Stelios or Stelios? Is it Stelios? It might right, be Stelios. So how would you pronounce right. this? S-T-E-L. Uh-huh. And then he gave us the, the how to pronounce it, hyphen Y capital O-S. Stelios? Or Stel- yeah. Stelios? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> As you can see, I'm not going to commit to it because I might see this guy. <laughs> in Greece. So oh, I'm goodness. Gonna... Can you explain the All difference right. in feel and tuning between an 8-lug and a 10-lug snare drum? Oh, that is a great question. Feel and tuning. So I'll jump in and say from my perspective, I if you put a blindfold on me, I wouldn't know if it was an 8-lug or 10-lug drum. Okay. Uh, that's just me. I think a 10-lug drum gives you more opportunity to tune higher without blowing the lugs out. But I never tune that's that high anyway. So for me, eight lugs is all you really need, but ten lugs is cool too. But I don't notice a difference in feel between the two personally. Yeah. You get down to six I lugs, I can feel it. The, the head is just softer. But I think ten. I've always been partial to eight just because if it there's probably a placebo effect that there's less metal on the shell. Mm-hmm. There's less lugs on the shell. I can see more of the shell. Sometimes when you get a 10-lug snare drum, depending on the maker and depending on what the lugs are like, it can take up a lot of real estate on the yeah. shell. 
and I'm not seeing the beauty of the shell. And then I think that that affects me. And, and all of a sudden, my mind thinks the drum is choked. No experimentation whatsoever. Just, oh, it's choked because I can't see the shell. But if I and then but but at the same time, when I have a six lug, I'm like, oh, it's just cheap. They couldn't afford the extra two lugs like this thing. Now it sounds all thin. So I, I personally have always loved eight lug snare drums because I can just see the shell and it looks proportionally spaced to me. Ten lugs always looks a little dense on the shell, but um, it really depends. I mean, if you're dealing with like old uh, old style tube lugs, it's not a big deal. So yeah, yeah, I think I think, I think you're right though. If, if if it's somebody that's going to be cranking up past that three eleven tuning, it's great to spread out that tension so it's not putting so much stress on those lugs. Yeah, so a ten lug would be great. I mean, I've definitely blown lugs on an eight lug Acrolyte before when I was in mm. that mode of cranking the drum way up, and I've never blown a lug on a on a Superphonic which has ten lugs. So there you go. That's that's all I see as being the advantage for me personally. Boom. All right. Next one. Oh, we answered this last week. This is the Mesh Heads question. Sorry, Later. Benji. We're not going to answer that one again. <laughs> okay, here's another one that's actually related to play-alongs. It's not a question. It's another suggestion. So this is from Nicholas. Um, there's also a website called playalongjazz.com, which the play-alongs are produced by Vinny Valentino, which I, th- I believe he was in Dave Weckl's band for a while, or maybe Steve Smith's band for a while. Or maybe still is. Um, so they have they're advanced and super realistic. So if you want some jazz playalongs, go to playalongjazz.com. Dig it, that's two in a row. Awesome. About playalongs. <clears throat> okay, here we go. An actual question from Tim. <laughs> I'm twenty seven years old and have been playing drums for about three years. What should I know about the business side of playing drums? I play in two bands currently and maybe Maybe doing some recording for other artists soon. Should I get a business license? Should I claim music expenses when filing taxes? What should I know about basic recording contracts? Dude's going in three years deep yeah. and and going for it. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Mm. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of when i switched to having to actually i guess it was when i started teaching at 17 was when i kind of switched over to having to do my taxes as a musician and then filing all of my returns as as an i don't even know if they classified me as an independent contractor back then but then all of a sudden then things could be written off that were related to music which was important because you have to take into account if you're going to be writing off you know, a thousand dollars a year. Don't do it. There's no reason to do it. But all of a sudden I realized, well, 70% of everything I make, I spend on drum gear mm-hmm. uh, or music gear or gas to get to my gigs and all this stuff. And then it was like, yeah, this, this is definitely taking up most of my income. So I should be writing it off. And that's when I became that. Um, now, obviously as a business owner, it's completely different. So, yeah, I mean, I think he doesn't say whether he has a full-time job doing something else or not uh, right which is the world i've been kind of teetered in i have a full-time job so how far do i go with the whole freelance drummer business uh, yeah i have not needed to like start off my own llc or anything like that it just becomes miscellaneous income um so let's let's unpack your situation playing drums for three years you play in two bands currently and you may be doing some recording for other artists soon if one of those two bands is not signed to like a big deal where there's actually real money involved, I think you don't want to be like, Hey guys, can we, can we sign some contracts with amongst each other? Right. I don't see a need for that. Um, in recording with other artists, I think most professional session drummers, it's, it's a pay per service. So you get paid to do the song and that's it. You don't get any rights to anything. Um, that's typical unless you wrote the song. Um, yeah, that's about And then, okay, let me ask you this. As far as he's going into his first studio session and they say, how much will you charge per song for you? Is that a case by case situation or do you have a flat rate? I have a starting point that I won't go, I won't go below. Um, okay. But it just depends. Sometimes I'll package it. If it's if we're going to try to crank out a whole record in one day, then it's okay. You got to pay me for the day. If and, or if it's just one song a week, then we'll just do one song, uh, you know, per song kind of fee. But again, there was 
probably 10 years where I didn't charge a dollar for that stuff, <laughs> you know, because I just, just wanted felt to do like it. I want the experience and I don't want to be the, the guy who's like, if you don't pay me this amount of money, then I'm not giving you okay. your files. So what about this? Do, do you have any sort of different charge based off whether you wrote the drum part or if they gave you the drum part and you just had to play it on a real drum set? Nope. Or is it the same thing? Okay. Nope. I think it's all on me. I think of, what do I consider? The, the demands of the, the recording itself. Like, is it, is it something I could just play two or three takes and we're done? Or is it something where I'm going to have to spend like a week to chart it out? Yeah. Is it super, like how much, how many hours am I going to have to invest in it? That's what I think about Okay. more than anything. And then I consider who's the person hire me. Are they kind of a stickler for details <laughs> so i'm gonna have to do like three or four redos uh right so i usually have that kind of up front like you know i'll give you i'll give you three or four takes in one session but if we got to go back tomorrow we have to kind of figure it as a different a different session we have to book it as sure. two days because I, I can't just leave my studio set up for your song for like two weeks while we go back and forth editing the track so i like to do it all within one session here's three takes slightly different versions and I also always do the test recording, which I talked about earlier. Here's my first instinct take. I send it to the artist or, or the producer and say, is this the, the idea? Okay. So it's not like I do three final takes and then I'm like, ah, I don't really like the uh, snare drum. <laughs> you know, like, ah. Right, right, right. I can't edit that. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And then what What do you think, I mean, in in like the modern age, we're not dealing with producers. Let's say somebody just contacted you on Instagram and said, Hey, can I send you a track for you to play on? I mean, what is a ballpark for something like that? Is it a hundred dollars per song? Is it a thousand dollars per song? I'm not saying your price. I'm just kind of, I mean, I, I don't do this kind of stuff. So I'm just curious for me. It's just like, what would you charge for an hour of work, whatever it may be. And then yeah. factor, you know, just consider that the fee and don't, consider your inability to record quickly <laughs> you know? yeah. like if i know i'm gonna i'm gonna give three takes i figure that's an hour set up and then recording okay if it's if it's going to be like well we're experimenting and it's going to take two or three days then i'm not going to charge hourly because then it would be like two thousand bucks or something right so it's sure it's just whatever you feel comfortable with for me yeah and i th i think the other thing that always muddies the waters here is sorry my dog's now <laughs> like in the mix um i think the other thing that kind of muddies the waters is sometimes you're working with somebody you really enjoy working with and it doesn't feel like work i do a lot and of like, free dude, I, I just i just want to be a part of your project yeah, man yeah yeah i do i still do so, that often especially if it's just like hey can you just do something on this track i'm like all right let me just if it's a friend i'm like okay well, then yeah i'll do one and then we'll talk about money later I, that's the thing with this this question I wouldn't jump into like money and business stuff when you're just getting your feet wet playing, Agreed. <laughs> playing music. Yeah, you're gonna, uh, yeah, because <laughs> there's someone else that's willing to do it. And we talked about this yesterday with, uh, or in the sorry, last week's episode um, uh, with was it Tyshawn that we were talking about where it's like you uh, know yeah. you have to value yourself. Yeah, but there there's just gray areas, you know. And I mean, if Sput called me right now and said, "Hey, we're doing a new Ghost Note track." Will you play your snare drum and play this one rhythm? I wouldn't even think to charge him. I'd be right. like, bro, yeah. I got you. Yes, <laughs> of course. So, and then if somebody that I'd never heard of said, can you just play this rhythm on your snare drum? I'd be like, yes, I can for $75 per rhythm. <laughs> How many bars do you want? <laughs> so, all right, let's get into the next question. All right. This one is, um, oh, I don't have a, I don't have a name. This is from DJ Rodriguez. It looks like. Um, I have a job at a public elementary school teaching music to K to fourth grade. I have 45 minutes with each grade once a week. What would you do with kindergartners for 45 minutes if this were you? Man. So kindergartners are f yeah, five, six, six years old, I guess. Right? Five or mm -hmm. six? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I have dogs, man. <laughs> I, I look at those things and I go, child. Yeah. And then at some point they're 17 and I go, <laughs> all right, person, <laughs> get a job. Uh, okay. So the first thing I, cause I've had to do this stuff in the past, uh, when I was doing freelance work at different junior highs, elementary schools and high schools. And with the kids, it doesn't, 
have anything to do with trying to get them involved in the drum set or anything like that. At five, four or five, six years old, it's all just basic rhythm. So there's a lot of things that we would try to do. Let's say that you had a classroom of 20 kids. I'd have four groups of five kids. Group A, you guys are responsible for the, the one. Group B, you're responsible for the E. And then I just do a thing of 16th notes and see if we can get the room going cha 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 in <laughs> clapping exercises. And once we get it, it's awesome. Uh, then maybe split them up into 10 groups, or I'm sorry, two groups of 10. And group A, you guys are responsible for clapping this rhythm. And I give them eighth notes. And they just keep doing that. And then I count two and four for group B. And they clap on two and four. Then I put on... Uh, a Barney song that has a backbeat on two and four, and we play a basic rock groove to it. They don't need to know the theory behind it. I would never even say the word eighth notes. I'd just be like, right now, Mm -hmm. right now. And then we get it going, and it's just group stuff that gets them involved in rhythm, turns their ears on. And then once that fun is in the room and the excitement's in the room, then you can bring in some vegetables and say, okay, everyone, where we were clapping on two and four, I want you to see if you can identify that. And I'd put on a song that had a very obvious two and four and just single each kid out. Okay, you try to clap where you think the snare drum is. And I'd have a snare drum for show and tell. And uh, mm-hmm. you just make it fun. <clears throat> yeah, I think because um, I went through a music education program, teaching that early general music is the was absolutely the most difficult. Uh, oh, for sure. I think teaching high school college level music is so much easier than trying to teach five, six year olds. Uh, yeah. And I think it's a special type of person who can really do that. And I think you're right. It's, it's more about just activity with music yep. than it is drumming or any kind of education. It's just, let's just move our bodies to music. It's almost like a dance drumming hybrid drum circle kind of event that, yeah, I wouldn't try to think to accomplish anything deliberately like quarter notes but i wouldn't even tell them it's a quarter note <laughs> you know, exactly just- exactly and, and they don't need to know i mean when i when i ran into eight-year-olds that had uh what we would call natural rhythm and all that stuff they didn't know anything all they knew was their parents played al green every morning for breakfast in the household and then they went to church and there was music there and then they came home and on the drive home the mm-hmm. mom was a fan of you know, whatever artist that was like all pocket driven. I was like, okay, so you've had this since you were in the womb. It's not natural. You're a product of your environment. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, my dad did me no favors with credence. <laughs> hey, credence <laughs> is a good choice for like straight ahead rock drumming that has some <laughs> swagger. Going back to that first question. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you, I could have done with a little Al, Al Green in my life. And instead I got deep purple. Cactus. <laughs> All right. So DJ sent another question. Um, he's he's referencing the uh, Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour rule as far as how to become a master at something. Mm. Um, so he says, "Do you find that this to be true? And how many hours do you think you have put into your drums, your career, and your family?" Um, so he's saying that. Uh, yeah, deliberate practice. 10,000 hours of deliberate practice is what is what mm-hmm. Gladwell is deemed to be what makes you a, a master at a skill. I don't know how he got that figure. <laughs> I, I couldn't disagree more. Um, no, I, I think that, uh, unfortunately, we are humans. At the point in time that that became the thing and the it's 10,000 hours to master any given skill there wasn't enough known about how the brain works and how we learn in 2009 the book the talent code was released check that out and that'll teach you a lot more about how to master a skill Uh, it'll teach you a lot more about how the brain works and how we internalize things it goes deep into how musicians learn a skill how sports people learn skills so the book is called the talent code i was turned on to it uh by a good friend of mine that i really look up to in the business world his name is pierre and it really breaks down the neuroscience of how we learn and then most importantly teaches you how to get in the zone when you are practicing anything new and your brain is learning something new there is a zone where you are you are internalizing new information faster than any other point in your practice and that's when 
it's starting to be ingrained in you. And unfortunately, most of us don't recognize that moment. But if we could stay in that moment for just five or six minutes, we could do a month's worth of work in five or six minutes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that moment is the highest point of frustration. And it's where all of us stop. Mm. And that is the moment to stay in. That's the moment. To, that's the where everything is firing. So check out the book, The Talent Code, and that'll that'll help you out a lot more than some random hour yeah, thing. I mean, I've shoot music school in college. There were so many students who were quote unquote practicing eight hours a day. What they weren't, they were just hanging out with their instrument for eight hours a day. Totally agree. I never really. Totally saw, I mean, I certainly saw it by example. Like there was a more talent, but this person says they're practicing eight hours a day, and they don't sound as good that this person that I know practiced maybe an hour a day. Like it's, right, and and that's it's it's all about the the efficiency of the practice. I will say this. Uh, this is only personal opinion, but if you are doing eight hours a day, something in your life will suffer because of it. Uh, you mentioned family. Uh, it, I think balance is the key to happiness and to joy. And if you're going to put in eight hours a day and you're going bananas on the practice, just know that your your social skills are going to go down a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think we've I think we've all run into the the guy that is coding at some corporation way too much, and he hasn't looked a human in the eyes in a long time. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you are a shockingly awkward person. And uh, that's so and true. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's all about balance. I think I hadn't, I didn't have anything to say on the instrument when I was at the height of my practicing. I had absolutely nothing to say. I was just practicing. It wasn't until yeah. I was restricted to where I literally only have. 15, 30 minutes a day to, to be on the drums at all. So it became much more about, well, I've got to take advantage of this time and not practice some crap that's not really important to me. Let right. me focus on what I really need to focus on, and let me just try actually expressing myself. So I think, yeah, that idea of, of the more life you live, the more you're going to have something to say. It's, it is a balance. I don't think you could – I don't think the monk approach to being a drummer is, is – transitions into good art <laughs> i don't know that's the problem it's like yeah maybe you're pro- I, I i don't know maybe it'd be different if it was marching but and, and there and it's not art but it's just precision but no I, yeah. I i like i said check out the book the talent code it'll do you some good all right let's do one yeah. more all right we've got um this is from matt matt in poland portland <laughs> not poland portland either way <laughs> Uh, he says, I learned to play drums using size 7 sticks. I'm, I assume you mean 7A. And I've yeah. pretty much always used that size ever since. I generally play, I have generally played in quieter settings where size 7As allow me better volume control. I would use size 5s, now again, 5As, 5A, I think. 5B. When I was in a garage band, but those sticks felt clunkier than what I was used hmm. to. Uh, okay. So where does we get to the actual question? Um, okay, so he's saying, I hope to someday be in a rock band and wonder if I should train myself to, be accust- to become accustomed to size, size 5A or B sticks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the question. So I feel that I have a good okay. stick control and rarely ever break a 7A, but wonder how well they last in a louder setting. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, that's a small stick. So it, it really is. And I, I think sticks should be based off two things. What type of sound are you trying to get and how big are your hands? Mm. Uh, and there is a comfort level. You know, if you appropriately scale down someone's hand from my hand, if a 5B feels perfect in my hand and you scale down the actual hand, then going to a 5A would probably feel perfect for that person. Mm. Uh, I know for me there were times where I felt like, Okay, I love five A's, but I'm on tour. They're snapping too quick, and I'm not getting the sound that the other drummers are playing with two B's are getting because yep. it was you know a rock tour. And because I didn't want to change uh, my stick that much, I just played with them backwards for you know the set. So mm. there were certain things you could do because even the the back end of a seven A is still about as thick as the uh, the taper of a five B. So. You, mm-hmm. you could just flip them around, but they feel weird in your hands. You don't have the control. If you really like the feel of 7As, I mean, I would definitely go up to what's probably the next thing, an 8A? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that a whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's confusing as <laughs> yeah, hell, but so I think the 8A or like, uh, 
you know, check out uh, the SD4 combo by Vic Firth or check yeah. out the recording model by Vader. Unfortunately, I don't know all the model numbers for uh, Promark, but try to find a balance between the 7A and the 5A. Like Mike said, a 7A is actually a very small stick that I would actually have a pair of those in my bag for a sound, not for something to feel, but it's like, okay. I literally cannot get a delicate enough sound. I'm actually going to go with something. Seven A's almost don't even feel like sticks to me anymore. They feel like little, yeah, they're like, they're like percussive devices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, uh, yeah, I would try to. So- All right. <laughs> well, must be a delivery. <laughs> yep. Yep. Juno, does the box say Gretch? Let him in. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah? It says Gretsch? Okay. Oh, no. What? It says Ludwig. Uh-oh. Get him! Get him! <laughs> Stop it, woman. Come here. Come here, sweetheart. Come here. I love you. I, I know. Someone's at the door. I get you. Okay. <laughs> Pick of the week? Oh, man. Well, let me... Guard dog? Uh, my, my one... My two cents on the stick thing. Yeah, I yeah. always Sorry. practice with big sticks on my practice pad, so... I feel like it's better to be used to playing a bigger stick, and then you can kind of get comfortable for a smaller stick. So you might want to try okay. that. Get yourself some 2Bs or marching sticks and use those as, like, your warm-up practice sticks. I have a feeling that eventually you're going to feel like the 7A is just too too skinny more than anything. It's yeah, just too skinny. I totally agree. I agree. And I think the one thing that you, you haven't experienced yet is having that slightly larger stick, even a 5A, which is not a large stick, but it actually does more work for you. There's more weight, and so when you throw it down, there's more momentum coming back up. And I think that uh, playing with 70s is more work for me because I'm not getting the inertia out of the stick and the momentum out of the stick to to even do its job. I have to. I feel like I have to muscle it out because it's not uh, really flying up. So I think that'll be. <laughs> do you know what the heck? She's ready to end this episode. That, yeah. Okay. You have to go potty. Is that what's going on? <laughs> Sit down. Sit down, honey. Juno, lay down. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay. Pick of the week. So I'm going to uh, rock this one. Pick of the week comes from our very first question, which was about. <gasps> yeah, I got it. <laughs> what do you. <laughs> Daddy duty. Uh, so our, <laughs> our first question was about what do you bring. <gasps> Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Go then. Go get them. I don't care. Go check it out again. Oh man. So okay. <laughs> Something spooked her. Good. Okay. Why don't you lay down, hon? Everything's okay. Okay. So our first question was about what do you bring as far as doubling stuff up, and we talked about. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> we talked about. Um, Having a bag that just has maybe a clutch in it and uh, a couple washers and maybe a drum key and all those things. That's enough. I love you. It's so weird. I like. I feel like if I say anything rude to her, I have to immediately tell her I love her just so she knows. Like, stop being so bad. You're the best dog ever. <laughs> She's got a pretty pretty serious bark. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, man. This is German Weimariner. Okay, so... Anyways, so my my pick of the week is called uh, the Think Tank Photo Cable Management Bag. And the reason why I I have four of these in different sizes and the thing that's awesome about Think Tank bags is that the front of them is completely clear. So it's an awesome sturdy bag. I've traveled all around the world with these things. Nothing's ever gone wrong with them. But when I pull it out, of of my actual bag then it's clear and i can see okay this is the one that has all of my felts in it and then oh this is the mm-hmm. one that has all my extra batteries for my camera and where's the one that has my led light in it oh there it is so these things are awesome uh truth be told i just ordered two of them for amber for her makeup because <laughs> she's she was like my makeup bags are like falling apart and I can't see what's in them, and I have to unzip them. And I'm like, yeah. you should get the Think Tank bags. These are awesome. They're indestructible, and they have a window in them. So definitely check out the th- um, I, on Amazon. They're like twenty bucks. Uh, I have a set of three of them. Like I said, they come in different sizes, but Think Tank makes great stuff. This is all camera stuff, but you can I use one for all of my drum bits and bops, and mm-hmm. then I have two for camera stuff. All right, my pick of the week is uh, an addendum to, gosh, two episodes ago, I picked that uh, Breakbeats 
collection that yep. was on yep. iTunes. <clears throat> and that reminded me that Billy Martin did three volumes of really super cool breakbeats, like live drumming breakbeat records. So if you search Illy B Eats, so it's like Billy with the B cut off and put in between, Illy B Eats, uh, there's three volumes. So they're on iTunes. They're um, You can actually go to his website and buy the, the physical copies if you want. It's pretty amazing. It's a great study f- in tone and groove and just good play-along practice. Um, those have been out for a while. He might have been one of the first that I remember doing that kind of thing. So check wow. it out. Billy, Illy B Eats, Volume 1 through 3. There's also one called Drop the Needle, which has uh, some collaborations with other people on it, but... Good stuff. That's my pick. Yeah. And if you, and if you don't know who Billy Martin is, get into Billy Martin. He is just an incredible artist. Fun follow on Instagram. And he's the one that reminds the entire world you don't have to always rip chops. Yeah. That is one of the most creative human beings on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, thanks for digging into it. <laughs> yeah. Clearly you're a huge fan. <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> yeah, he's neat. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, well, <laughs> even Gina's like, Woof. whatever. All right, let's end this episode. Thank Bye. you all for Goodbye. being with us while we get through this rough one. <laughs> oh. All right, buddy. I'll see you when I get back from Greece. All right, have a good one. Later, brother. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.